Hi, this is Mike Morris. Welcome to another episode of Open Mike. You've heard this person's name on this show a few times now. Shante Parker is an attorney from the South, actually, but she was working in New York, came to Michigan to set up the Neighborhood Defender Service in Detroit, where they are helping indigent individuals who are charged with crimes much better than what we've had in the past. And I'm really excited to talk to her. I want to hear about the approach they're taking. I want to hear about the good work they're doing for the people of Wayne County. And hopefully there'll be no more terrible attorneys handling these criminal cases that we've been highlighting on this show, which is such a major, major concern. Joining us this morning is Mike Morse, Detroit's top attorney. Mike Morse. Mike Morse is in here to tell us about the backpack giveaway. Adapted, adapted, and changed things up a little bit every year. Let's bring on Shante Parker to tell us more about this. Hi. Hi there. So nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Welcome to the show. Yeah, happy to be here. So, Shante, your name keeps coming up. Uh, people up at University of Michigan uh, were talking about you, an attorney in Washington County we've interviewed. Um, what you guys are doing in Wayne County is really remarkable. So. I'm going to, you know, give me a brief uh, description of your background and then let's let's dive into to the great work you're doing in Wayne County. Yeah, I love that you said I'm a girl from the South because people usually think I'm from New York because that's where I came from. Media, well, I read your bio. I do my Good. homework. <laughs> Good. North, where, where are you from? Where are Georgia? I'm from, from Savannah, Georgia, born and raised there. Um, and then uh, eventually made my way north for law school and have really started my public defender career in New Orleans. So I've been around, uh, but I've been a public- I love New Orleans. Yeah, it's a beautiful city. I wish you would open up. I want to go back <laughs> I know, I have a lot of friends who keep asking me when I'm going to come visit. Um, but I started my career there as a public defender um, right after Katrina in an office that was going through a lot of turmoil, trying to raise the standard of practice um, to make sure people got the representation they needed. Um, then returned to New York and have worked at NDS as a staff attorney and as a supervisor. Spent a little bit of time at the Innocence Project working on wrongful convictions. Wow. And now I'm here in Detroit. I've been here a little over a year at NDS Detroit. Well, welcome to Detroit. We are so happy Thank to you. have you. You know, on, on this podcast, we've been talking to lots of different attorneys and, and policymakers about the problem of indigent defense. Um, I mean, too many to mention right now, but, you know, Eve Primus and uh, John Shea and yeah. uh, somebody from the Sixth Amendment uh, uh, Clinic in Boston. And and I've also um, had a couple of individuals on the show who were wrongfully convicted. One spent 15 mm -hmm. years in prison, one spent nine years in prison, Aaron Salter and Kenny Winnick. Yeah. And as a lawyer, it it seems to me it all stems back from bad criminal defense attorneys, bad lawyers who, and I'm not just saying this like flippantly, they have been just, they were all disciplined and most of them were disbarred mm -hmm. after these cases. And John Shea laid out for us the good work that he's doing for the state of Michigan mm -hmm. and his organization, his commission actually lobbied for the funding. So yeah. you, 
your organization could come to Wayne County and deliver better indigent defense services for people charged with crimes in Detroit, in, in Wayne County. So, you know, you guys, you your organization started in Harlem, New York, true? Right, that's right. And but it's a different type of public defender office. It's not, it's not your typical, you know, you're not getting appointed by judges and you're not um, solo practitioners running around uh, trying to bill, you know, trying to take on too many cases to make a, a living. You guys are doing it differently. So I'm going to turn it over to you and tell me what NDS is about, how you're different and what you're, you know, what kind of work you're doing here in Detroit. Yeah. So I think it really stems back to our founding 30 years ago in Harlem. Uh, public defenders there who are working in traditional office where uh, the lawyer really led the case and, and made a lot of decisions about what was happening in the case. Um, they got together and said, there's a different way that we can do this, right? Our clients, when we um, help them out and finish the case, there's still a lot of problems that they're seeing. They're facing a lack of housing, lack of education, lack of access to opportunities. And so these lawyers got together and said, let's do something different. We believe that if we base the office in the community, right, if we have a client-centered approach, meaning the client leads the case and dictates what happens in the case, um, that we can get better outcomes for our clients, not only in the legal case, but also help them um, with the issues that uh, uh, are, are going on in their lives outside of the criminal case, like the issues I talked about. And so they got a grant from the Vera Institute of Justice, a national think tank, to try the model out in Harlem. They put the office right on 125th Street in the neighborhood, over 40 minute train ride from the court, but it was a way for the office to be accessible to the community. And they proved over the, that uh, pilot project that the model worked, right? They saw better outcomes for clients. There was an increase in trust in the community and in um, the representation. And they also were able to help clients with early in the case, prior to arrest, and also at the end of the case in terms of reentry. Uh, so we really at Detroit build on that tradition, right? Um, our values, our client-centeredness, right? We listen to our clients and we respect their dignity and we follow their lead in order to get the best outcome for them. Um, and we have a holistic approach, which means we don't just look at the criminal case. We're trying to determine, are there other issues that the client is facing that we can connect them to resources in the community? Um, and it really makes a difference. We've seen a difference in just, you know, under a year of operation um, in the outcomes for clients um, and the way that they feel about their representation in addition to um, just being able to, to, to feel good about your representation, that they're listening to you, that they see you as a person. Before you guys took over, was there a Wayne County Defender's Office? There was. There was the State Defender Office. And as you mentioned, the Sixth Amendment Center came in at the behest of Wayne County and took a look at that office and said, what's going on here? Um, and what they found was that that office didn't have enough funding. They had 17 to 18 attorneys who were doing 25% of the cases in the county and that the management structure was not serving clients. Clients were languishing without um, representation, without seeing attorneys, seeing clients, seeing attorneys at the court date and having to make a decision about a plea uh, without a lot of time to contemplate the consequences of that. And so because of that Sixth Amendment Center report, Wayne County said, listen, we want to do something different. They put out a request for proposals to the world to say, is there another 
a provider who can come in and give Wayne County citizens um, the kind of representation that they deserve and that the Sixth Amendment requires that every person get in this country, no matter how much money you have and what the color of your skin is. Uh, NDS was fortunate enough to get that contract. And so we actually, you know, brought um, a good majority of those attorneys over. Okay. But what we did was we increased the number of attorneys that we had. You know, we went that, that they were doing 25% with 17 attorneys. We have 34 attorneys on staff doing wow. that amount of work. So as you can imagine, there's an immediate difference in the kind of representation you're able to give if your caseload isn't substantially high in that way. Um, we'll, we see have seen 30% of the cases that we be, we are assigned be dismissed very early on in the case because we're able to do more work, to do more high quality work on cases. Wow, that's that's amazing. You mentioned statistics. I mean, I, you probably don't have too many after only being here a year, but anything that you can point, point me to? I love statistics. I, I, yeah. I love I mean, as you can imagine, that office didn't have the capacity. You know, most public defenders really don't have the capacity to, to kind of dig into the numbers. But, you know, statistics matter in, in this day and age. Data, people want to know, like you said, what, what you're doing. You have to measure what you're doing in order to talk, tell the story. And so what we've learned in, in the time that we've been here is that over 70% of our clients, probably about 74, 75% are Black folks. Uh, and it's not surprising in a, in a place like Detroit, which is one of the majority black cities here in in, um, in the country. Um, we have found that in um, some of the, 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 the zip codes where the eviction rates are highest, we're seeing more of our clients come from those zip codes. Uh, we also see that we serve all of Wayne County. Uh, we have clients from virtually every zip code in the county, um, which because we want to be a county, um, we're, we're mandated to be a county office. Um, let's see. Um, those are some that come to mind. Yeah. So I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I know you didn't no, think that's okay. that, but you know, one thing that I know you, you guys, um, are advocating for, and I'm newer to this subject, but I've had on the uh, young ladies who are running, uh, the bell project in Detroit mm -hmm. and you know, what a great place to start. And you mentioned it, you know, that, that you're having lawyers at the bail hearings and, and, or, early on in the case and before that, that wasn't a thing. Right. And now you guys are there early to advocate for no bail. And if bail is set, having the bail project bail out everybody pretty much yeah. under $5,000. Mm -hmm. um, have you seen a big, so the statistics that they throw out that I was really impressed with was that if somebody doesn't get bail, they're 92% gonna plea. But yeah. if they do get out on bail, they're only 50% going to plea, which means they're going to get some good representation or they're going to get their cases dismissed. And yeah. I think people are taking plea bargains just to get out of jail, even if they didn't do it. So it has the bail project as well as fighting the judges or educating the judges that bail is not meant for these purposes been effective? It has, you know, and I think that... Um, that that statistic, I think, is so critical for people to understand, right? That um, just think about yourself. If you were confined in, in a place where you don't have access to your family members, you don't have access to a good night's sleep, food, your medication, uh, nutritious food, 
um, that you are going to make decisions to try to get yourself out of that situation that you wouldn't make if you had the, the benefit of your freedom, right? And so when we talk about the rate of pleas, first of all, just overall in cases, 97% to 99% of cases plead in our system. Uh, so that's number one. So our system, I think, presses people to plea in ways even sure. when bail. But when we talk about within the bail context and within incarceration that we see, you know, that increased pressure. And, we, and we've really seen that during COVID, right? Because it's this moment where the, the public health crisis of, of incarceration is magnified because we all are thinking about our collective health. And, and for advocates, we're thinking about the people who don't have a choice in where they are. And so as soon as COVID it's hit, uh, in mid-March, we were immediately thinking about our clients who were incarcerated because we knew that there was a level of over-incarceration happening. We knew that our clients didn't have access to the resources they needed to get out, right? So we began making lists of the clients that we had incarcerated, and we immediately connected with the bail project to sort of say, okay, um, we know these, this is how you operate. We've got a situation here. How can we facilitate us getting you connected with our clients to get them out of incarceration. Uh, and it's been wonderful. We've seen great results. We've seen over 200 of our clients be released on bail. A lot of times in situations where judges and prosecutors may not have wanted them to be released under standard operating procedures, but because of COVID, I think the urgency and the public health crisis is more clear. Um, and we think that the way that the court is operating in terms of releasing people on bail, releasing them on their own cognizance, setting low bail so that the bail project can um, bail them out is the way that we ought to be operating anyway, that we shouldn't have a jail that is overcrowded um, with people who don't need to be there who will could succumb to and do succumb to those pressures to plead guilty to things that they didn't do. Are you finding the judges are, you know, it feels like there's a little bit of a movement here in Detroit and across the country to, 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 you know, the, the stereotypical judges are, are, are think that bail is what's going to bring people back to court. And this, this bail project is showing that that's not true. Right. Because we're getting over 90% of the people coming back and it's not the people's money. So it's not the money that's bringing them back to court. So why should they right. bail, high bail? I mean, they told me stories that they bailed people out for a dollar. Yes. Yeah. We've had some people during COVID that their we got their bail set to a dollar, $10, $15, $100, just so that, um, you know, and they still could not pay. Right. And so again, bail should not, um, you, sh you shouldn't be incarcerated because you're poor. And so many people sit in jail because they don't have the resources, not because they're a public safety danger. If you've got the money, um, you can get, get yourself out regardless of whether or not you are a danger to, to the public or not, um, or present a, a danger to public safety. How good of a job do you think the bail project is doing getting the message? Like, do you think there's anybody sitting in Wayne County Jail right now with bail for under $5,000? right now, sitting right now? Uh, you know, I don't know, but I do know that we have been really focused on the jail population, and I think everyone is. And so there are a lot of eyes on what's happening in the Wayne County Jail right now. We certainly, we only do 25% of the cases, but we monitor who's in custody. We've got a little over 90, 90 of our clients who are remaining in custody, and we're always updating that list to make sure we know what's going on with people. And if there's a place for us to advocate, uh, with the court 
or use the bail projects funds, then we're going to do that. And I also would, would just uplift that there are other organizations like the Detroit Justice Center, private attorneys who are also working to make sure that we're advocating for people who remain in the Wayne County Jail because we all recognize this public health crisis, uh, at least on the advocate side. So, um, you know, I, I, I would hope not. Uh, and I was, and I would also certainly ask folks to please, you know, be in touch with your loved ones if you are incarcerated in that manner to reach out to the bail project. There's another great organization called Michigan Liberation that has also done some bailouts. Um, Michigan Liberation is a community of um, community members who are against mass incarceration, um, who advocate for people. Uh, and so they're doing some wonderful work as well with regard to bailouts. Yeah, and, and the bail project says they have plenty of funds. I mean, so they're mm -hmm. not out of money. I, I asked yeah. them specifically, and they said, no, we could bail out everybody. And they're looking, they're doing in Oakland a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Washington County. So I'm helping, I'm trying to help them get the word out because I think it's such a wonderful organization. Um, let's talk about the other 75%. So I, I it, feels, it sounds like you, you guys got this together and then nobody's fallen through the cracks. And if, you know, all of these wrongful convictions that we've talked about on this podcast, as well as the Michigan Innocence Project and other innocence projects, you know, reading these transcripts, seeing the injustice, these horrible attorneys representing people, you guys, you know, full faith. What about the other 75% are, are who's monitoring those lawyers right now? Yeah. So I want to say one thing before I kind of get to the 75%, I will say that, you know, we do see other indicators for wrongful convictions other than defense counsel. And I think that there is some level of accountability that needs to be had with law enforcement and the court with regard to, you know, make mistaken witness identifications. And that's, um, that's an issue. Official misconduct is an issue with regard for wrongful convictions, particularly here in Wayne County. Um, but when we talk about, you know, we're defense counsel, so we got to hold ourselves to a, to a, a different standard as uh, practitioners and colleagues. And so with the 75%. Again, our office, we, we see ourselves as a leader in raising the standard of practice here. And so one of the things that our office is charged with doing is helping train that other 75%. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. So we well, have a training great. director. Yes. Yes. Um, who is helping coordinate the CAP sessions. Um, these are sessions that are required for practitioners who take appointed cases here in Wayne County. So we're helping develop that curriculum. We helped run that program last year and we'll continue to, to, to um, help shape what that looks like and bring some of our core values around client-centeredness, holistic representation to those kinds of trainings. John um, Shea, we talked a lot with John Shea about the uh, commission's I think it's 12 or 14 hours yes. that people have to take if they want to take on uh, these types of cases. And the fact that you guys are doing the training, I don't think I knew that, but that's, yeah. that's fantastic because, you know, as I'm, as I'm, if I'm diving into these wrongful convictions and I'm seeing defense counsel literally phone it in, right? No preparation, no research. And I'm talking 10 years ago, I'm talking, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm talking, but there was nobody, overseeing these these lawyers there was no I, it felt like there was very little training or there was I, i'm reading about a, a wrongful conviction right now where it looks like the judge the defense attorney went to uh we're in the prosecutor's office together and mm -hmm. you know and this guy was doing like dozens of murder trials and there are two three four day trials with 
you could tell by the cross-examination there was no preparation. Mm -hmm. and, and the clients are telling us that they were pushing for plea bar, plea deals and there was nobody overseeing it. And I love the fact that you guys are overseeing your 34 lawyers, plus you're training the other 75% that if there's a major issue that comes up, at least you're going to have some guidance. At least you're going to have some ideas. You're going to have some investigators and some four motions to help them or some trial help or mm -hmm. whatever it is. That's, that's what's it. That's what I think was missing when I'm reading these cases. And to your point, Shante, you're right. The police corruption, the prosecutorial mis uh, malfunction, bad judges, you know, that's not something that we can fix, but we can challenge it. And if there's yeah. a good attorney like you and your team to challenge it, at least it's getting challenged and getting called out. That's, that's true. That's, that's our job as a lawyer. Yeah, that is you certainly know? true. And so, I think in this moment, it is particularly true. And one of the things that we did when we, we trained our initial staff, we began with the, the history of this country and the, the racist roots of the criminal legal system, because we wanted to ground our staff to say, the reason why our clients um, who are mostly black and mostly poor get treated this way by not only defense counsel, but by everyone else in the system is because there is some, some real deep roots of racism in our criminal legal system. And so we talked about the history of policing in this country and how that started as slave patrols. We talked about um, uh, Jim Crow law that um, not only proliferated throughout the South, but in many ways um, throughout this country. We talked about um, the aggressive war on drugs and the war, that, how that was targeting to black communities. Uh, and so we talk about those things so that people have a context to really understand why it is that, that your, our clients are treated the way that they're treated, how they aren't given the same sort of uh, full access to their rights and due process in the way that we might see other um, groups in this country so that we have an understanding ability to call it out when we see it. Uh, and to really um, transform the kind of representation our clients get so that they can have some semblance of real justice in this country. That's so smart. I mean, it's just smart to motivate your attorneys and to so they understand exactly what they're fighting for. And I think the whole nation, those of us who care, who are reading and watching and learning are, are getting, you know, especially lawyers hopefully are getting reinvigorated yeah. and wanting to help and and you know if a lawyer is watching this even if they're not experts in criminal law you know it, what kind of services are needed what kind of things do do you see are needed for for people in wayne county and other co counties across michigan yeah i i think that um that's a really good question. And, and I want to preface this by saying that I'm, I'm new to, to Wayne County and Detroit, but we are seeing clients who need access to quality housing, right? I think that um, the eviction crisis that is coming is, is going gonna, is gonna to really test our capacity to support our fellow, fellow residents in the county because there are so many people who are... Um, are living with the threat of eviction right now as we continue this COVID pandemic. And um, they're really, we just don't know when things are going to get 
better. <laughs> um, and so um, I think that's gonna that's a real issue. I think the water crisis has been something that's been an issue that we see for um, our clients here in the county. I think that um, access to quality, high quality mental health uh, support is something that we are always looking for resources for our clients. Um, and then I think coming back to, uh, to our original work, I think um, folks just need counsel that is gonna have the capacity, um, the skill to really represent them um, in the way that they need to be represented. People who are, who are well-trained, who have an understanding of the issues and who are dedicated to representing clients, seeing their clients as people, not just as a case to process. That's what I think Wayne County really needs. And I, I hope that NDS is setting an example by the way that our staff, our attorneys go in the court and advocate for our clients. Um, that's going to have a ripple effect on um, everyone who's practicing in these courthouses. What oversight is there over the other 75% of the mm -hmm. career defense attorneys who are taking appointments? What oversight is, is there on them to make sure they're not just trying to make a living and giving good representation, not forcing plea deals, how do we make sure that that's not happening? Yeah. Well, I think Wayne County has made some real strides. I think that our office is one uh, way that they've done that. Um, but they're also establishing a county office of indigent defense. Uh, and that, that office will have a coordinator who's going to not only oversee our office and make sure that we're doing the things that we need to do, but also is going to coordinate the panel, right? And so um, coordinating investigators and experts, access to those folks, um, ensuring that people have training through our office. Our office helps make sure that the folks on the panel get the training that's required of them. Um, so I think that's a, a, a bright spot for me in seeing how Wayne County has set up this structure um, so that the office not only oversees the public defender office, but also is um, evaluating those who are representing the clients in the other 75%. And, is, and you're saying there still is a need for lawyers to, you know, step up and take a criminal case and there's training. Uh, if they're interested, there's training through your office. I think it's free training um, to get them ready to handle uh, a case. And it sounds like that's still a need. Yeah, I think that um, it's, it's always a need. Um, and I think that, um, you know, Wayne County does a good job of, it has a tier system to where the, the folks who are taking cases, they make sure that they're qualified and have the, the, the number, the requisite experience to take those cases. And so I'm excited to see how that office continues to uh, improve the evaluation and training of attorneys, not only um, on the panel, but the way that they're helping oversee our office as well. Do do the judges still appoint the attorneys to represent people, or is it is it, is it a now a non-biased system? How is that? Yeah, working? that's a really good question. As you pointed out, you want to keep that separate function um, between the judiciary and defense counsel. And so the the Michigan Indigent Defense Commission, which I think John Shea is on that commission, they are have developed some standards for the state to say 
you need to see your client within a certain amount of time after appointment. Another standard is that the function of appointment is separate. The judiciary is not involved in that process. So that standard hasn't yet been passed, but Wayne County is already beginning to think about how do they do that? Um, as you know, something that's been done like that for years and years and years takes time oh, yeah. to untangle. But again, Wayne County is thinking about, okay, uh, how do we do that? So for example, the way that we get our assignments, there's a uh, office um, at the Third Circuit that makes the assignments to um, to the, uh, the attorneys on the panel and to our office. Um, so it's still within the court, but again, there, there there's movement towards um, being ready to comply with MIDC standard when it is passed. Are you getting any pushback for being, you know, some of the lawyers who've been on the you know, on the podcast with me, you know, the old system was the uh, judges and the defense attorneys were, you know, it's been alleged, not by me, because I've never done it, but they were kind of, not in cahoots, but, you know, they scratched each other's backs a little bit, mm -hmm. and the defense attorneys wouldn't push too hard, and the judges knew who was going to push too hard, and, you know, the people got the assignments who got the assignments, um, and I'm sure your office is going to be trying more cases and being more aggressive with motions and get looking for more dismissals. What, you know, what, uh, what are you seeing out there in that regard? I mean, are, are you getting uh, any grief that you guys are trying to do a better job in improving the system? You know, I think anytime you come to a place and you're doing something different, um, that is going to upset the status quo. Um, but that's our mandate. You know, when I start, went down to New Orleans and started as a baby public defender, that was my mandate. Like th there was a system of attorneys, same sort of, not quite the same, but attorneys will get, get assignments from the judge and they, they were in one judge's courtroom. And that was the one that the judge knew he could, you know, manipulate and, and want to just say it plainly. And our office came in and said, we're full-time public defenders. We're going to fight for clients. We, we are independent and that ruffled a lot of feathers. People were not happy with that because it disrupted the status quo. But our mission was to be client-centered, to do everything that we could to fight for clients. And so as a, that was my training ground as a baby public defender. So you can imagine now that I've had the privilege and opportunity to come and build, help build and run my own office, that's in my DNA. So I have given that empowered my staff to say, clients, we are here for clients. That's the only reason why we do this work is because we are here to stand with clients and to advocate for them. No one else, the same way if we were being paid for this work, that's who we answer to. And so we make sure that we equip our staff to be empowered to fight for what is right. Because if if it's anyone, right, any our Sixth Amendment guarantees that you ought to have independent, zealous representation that's highly qualified. And that so we very diplomatic staff gets it. <laughs> very, you can go into politics. So I'm going to take I mean, Yeah, you're <laughs> pissing off some uh, local judges and good for you. Um, but uh, that was a good answer. So in New Orleans, but in Detroit, um, you know, you're right. It's an it's an old system, and 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 the fact that Wayne County is still doing it the old way. I like. I, I read those standards, and I didn't. I don't know if I asked the question or not. 
you know, to the, our former guests, whether or not it has been implemented. It hasn't been implemented, but they're not working. all of them, but they're working on them. The first couple have been passed. Um, you know, they start with um, um, attorney training and qualification and, and then visits promptly after assignment. So they're getting to those, but they wanted to start with, I think, the most important the ones they felt were most pressing and important. Are you guys trying more cases than your predecessors? Uh, you know, that's a good question. And, and you know, our data is kind of off on that because we're not trying anything right now. Because oh, good point. I'm sorry. Um, right. But before, yeah, before, you know. Before the courts closed in March, <laughs> are, have you been, were you trying least, more? We were starting to see an uptick. You know, the, the folks who had come over from the state defender office, they had some trials. So we were seeing some people in trial. But we started taking cases October 1, and most of the cases here have a 90-day-ish trial oh, track. Yeah. And so we were sort of, I think, just about to get into our, our heavy trial season when COVID hit. So, so you were um, only five months into it. Yeah, yeah. So all hell broke loose. Quickly pivot to a work-from-home environment. Um, we had to get people up to speed about how to appear in court virtually and still have that same level of advocacy. How do we relate to and connect with our clients uh, in this virtual environment? So yeah, it was a it was a hard pivot, but I think that's a testament to the folks who we brought on, who who in the first place sort of signed up to be a part of a new venture. Yeah. Um, so we really tapped into that spirit. Um, I will also, I just want to plug that we also have over 50% of our staff is women and close to 50% of our staff is people of color. And so, you know, certainly as a black woman, I know the resiliency um, that's in that intersection. And so we've really been very pleased and proud of the work that our staff has continued to do uh, in the midst of COVID and also with the racial uprising that's been happening in the country. So how how are you dealing with people? I mean, our courts, are the criminal courts open uh, for for are they open other than for Zoom calls or is, or is are there are there physical appearances happening? Yeah, for the most part, everything is happening over Zoom. We have seen some of the Al County District Courts doing some in-person exams, um, and so but that's very very limited. Um, and we're making sure to be in communication with these courts to find out what their plans are for reopening and make sure our, both our staff and clients are safe. Um, as they are being asked to come in person, um, but we're, we're mostly over Zoom. Wow. I mean, as I, I know my civil trials are all roadblocked, but yeah. for people sitting in jail waiting for a trial, yeah. you haven't had, I mean, they're not doing jury trials right now. Not at this moment. You know, there's some the, lots of conversation about what that looks like. How do you do that while um, protecting the defense, the accused rights? Uh, and so that we're involved in some of those conversations, but it's really, you know, I think we're all kind of learning as we go. Um, we are keeping our clients central, you know, because as you pointed out, we've got some clients who are still incarcerated uh, and won't probably have the opportunity to get out because their bails are so high and because of what they're facing. And so we're thinking about how do we uh, add something to those conversations so that they can consider what the, the needs of our clients are and their rights. Um, and also help, you know, think about what it, what would a trial look like in COVID? We're seeing some things across the country and people are trying different things out. Um, but it's really, you know, still trying to figure that out. Okay. And, you know, I know I was going to ask you this question and I know you've only been here a short period and you haven't seen 
a ton of cases, but you've been doing this over 10 years. Um, and you mentioned police misconduct and you know that Detroit has had a storied history uh, with federal oversight and lots of allegations of lots of things. Mm -hmm. um, what, you know, what have you seen? What is your opinion so far as to the cases that your office has investigated as far as the honesty of this Detroit Police Department and the other departments here in Wayne County? I mean, do you have an opinion yet? Um, or is the jury out, as uh, us lawyers like to say, even though there's no jury system these days? Yeah, I, I would probably say the jury is still out, but we are looking at, we were really interested in what cases we were seeing come through during COVID. And um, um, we also are really interested in understanding who's being arrested and for what, um, particularly along racial lines. Um, and so that's something that we're sort of monitoring and get, keeping track of, trying to get our data in a place where we can sort of have that that's going to tell us a story, uh, hopefully, about what's happening. Um, but I, I would say for me, the jury is still out having practice in a lot of different places. I know that um, I don't want to be quick to sort of assume the situation is a particular way um, without learning more. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would say that. Um, um, one of the, I will highlight that one of the things that we do know is that getting involved in a case early helps um, the defendant really have a fighting chance against law enforcement and the prosecutors. Just tremendous amount of power and resources that they have coming against one person, particularly a person who may be poor or black on the margins. And so we did launch a project uh, on Juneteenth actually called our community intake practice where we can um, represent folks in the community if they, if they qualify for the services early, even before an arrest. So if someone is in the community and gets word that the police are looking for them, you know, sometimes police come by grandma's house, knock on doors, things like that. If they get word of that or they suspect that they're gonna be charged with a felony, they can call our office Monday through Friday, 10.30 to 4.30, and be connected with a lawyer who's going to make an assessment about um, their eligibility, um, their certain criteria. But if they qualify, we can get involved early. So we can, uh, if, it's, if it's practical and it makes sense, perhaps reach out to that, that officer, the law enforcement, to sort of figure out what's going on. Uh, if it makes sense and the client wants to do it, arrange a safe surrender, right? We know what happens when police come into communities and try to snatch people up by surprise. It could be deadly for us. Um, and we can also start to investigate cases, get surveillance video, talk to witnesses before charges are even brought. And that just empowers and, and makes our representation that much better, um, helps us as we come to court to, to uh, bail advocacy for folks, um, and also to build that relationship of trust. So that's something that we're trying to do, um, regardless of you know what my opinion becomes of the police here. I think that sort of early intervention is um, something that we've seen be very, very useful and successful in Harlem. And we're really happy that we were able to bring that service to Wayne County. That is amazing. I mean, you're, we're going from a system where poor people of color can't get representation good representation after they've been charged and you guys right. are setting up a system where if they hear a rumor that they're being investigated or 
or the police want to talk to them, that you guys will help them through interview through, through the interview process, through getting evidence. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that you guys are here. I love everything I'm hearing. I love everything I'm hearing about your office. Welcome to Detroit. We need you. Um, and I think what you guys are doing is just so amazing and, and you're going to make our community better and safer. And, um, if there's anything my office or I can ever do for you, please reach out and I'm going to, uh, put up, put your information on uh, our show notes. So if somebody's yeah. watching has a loved one dealing with what you just described, they can call you and, um, three, one, three, four, seven, four, 3200. That's our number. People should put that in their speed dial. Yes, yes, yes. Well, Shante, it was phenomenal talking to you. Keep up the good work. I'm sure I'll call you again in the future, but I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Thanks, Mike. Happy to always talk about this because this is what we're here for. We're here to serve the community, and we're excited to continue to be a part of the community. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for watching another episode of Open Mic. Today's episode had Shante Parker on from the Neighborhood Defender Services in Wayne County. Amazing, amazing work she's doing. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please share it with everybody you know. Subscribe, one of these buttons that are flying around my head. Hit subscribe, hit like, comment. Let us know what other type of content you'd like. You know, we're really enjoying doing Open Mic. We're getting a lot of views and, and people listening. But we want to deliver the stories you want to hear. We're trying to focus on all things justice related here in Michigan, here in Detroit. So let us know what you like. Text us, call us, email us. And thanks for watching and listening.